Um, hi everyone. Um, welcome to the FML podcast. Today, um, we are going to talk about social anxiety, and I'm going to start with a disclaimer and trigger warning. Um, if topics about anxiety trigger you, please do not listen to this podcast. Um, if you start listening and you get triggered, please do not continue. We highly encourage that you do not. Um, and hopefully, if you're able to listen to the, this podcast, we hope that you're able to turn it, take a thing or two and apply it to your daily life as we continue to bring you more episodes about mental health and mental well-being. My name is Rukaya Abdullah, and um, I'll let my panel of hosts introduce themselves. I'll start with Michelle. Thank you so much for that. My name is Michelle Oyabiero. I am the co-founder of Smile. I am extremely excited for this episode as we do not get to talk about social anxiety a lot. We just talk about anxiety as a whole. So I'm really excited that we're focusing on one anxiety disorder. So yeah, I'm very excited. Let's go. Calvin. Hi. Uh, my name is Calvin. Um, really excited to have this second recording of our podcast. It's a really important topic that we get to discuss. Um, and I get this opportunity to weigh in, which is really important. Thank you. Thank you, Calvin. Anne? Hi, my name is Anne Yokabi. I am a mental health and SRHR advocate. And I'm so excited to talk about social anxiety. Yes. Yeah, um, thank you all for introducing yourselves. And one thing that I forgot to add is we appreciate we acknowledge that this conversation would go way better if we had a mental health professional or as someone with lived experiences of um social anxiety. Um we do acknowledge that, but we also want to say that um social anxiety is someone is something that we all experience some level of um, in our daily interaction. So we are presenting our own biased opinions and please don't hold us accountable for any mistakes that we would make in these discussions. And we appreciate your comments, feedback and further information that we can um, share with our um, audience as well. So um, let's start with social anxiety. Um, social anxiety sometimes can be a disorder, but we are not going to go into the nuances of what a disorder is and social anxiety as a disorder, like I said, because we do not have the um, professional experience to do so. But Michelle, can you let us, you know, tell our audience what social anxiety is broadly without necessarily going into the definitions of the disorder itself? Okay, sure thing. Um, I think, uh, again, the disclaimer that Ukaya has given us is very important. We are not mental health experts. We are just mental health advocates and we're really passionate about the topic and we want more people to be aware of these topics and to um, share the knowledge that they have. So the whole point of this podcast is to be very educational. So if we do make a mistake and you do realize that, hey, maybe this information is incorrect, please do correct it. So um, before I talk about social anxiety disorder in itself, there are five types of anxiety disorder. There's post-traumatic stress, dis- post-traumatic stress disorder. There's generalized anxiety disorder. There is social anxiety disorder. Uh, I forgot to say two others. But yeah, social anxiety disorder um, is basically 
fear and anxiety that leads to avoidance that can disrupt your daily life. So I think all of us to an extent do feel fear and anxiety in you know day-to-day activities like e.g. if I'm performing in front of a stage or I have to give a speech in front of a very large crowd of course I do feel anxious but I don't think it leads to avoidance and I don't think it disrupts my life so if you have a social anxiety disorder if you have social anxiety disorder it leads to disruption um, of your daily life. Yeah, um, so what, what Michelle just said is that social anxiety doesn't disrupt daily um, interactions and daily life functioning. Michelle, am I right? Yeah, um, yes. So as I said, it does interrupt your daily life. Oh, it does interrupt your daily life. Yes, that's when you have a social anxiety disorder. Okay, um, Calvin, what do you have to say about that? Um, yeah, so we can say it's that extreme fear of putting yourself into social situations. And as Michelle talks, it leads to avoidance because you don't want to put yourself in that situation. It is often um, misjudged or misconstrued and like used to also like explain things like shyness. Um, we can also say like social phobia, which is almost the same, but there's a distinction to it. And also like introvertedness is something that people associate with social anxiety but it's a bit different so i would also go with michelle that, that the key there is that avoidance um aspect which you know is caused by the fear of being in the social situation okay um you mentioned introvertedness and shyness and you said that they are not um they are often misconstrued with social anxiety would you say that introvertedness and shyness are related Oh, I did it. I did just, you know, completely different from social anxiety. Um, I would um, go ahead, Michelle. Thank you so much. I I just wanted to chip in in regards to the question that has been posed to us. I think there's a huge difference between being introverted and being shy. Uh, people who are introverts feel more comfortable focusing on their inner thoughts, ideas, rather than what's happening externally. Well, when you are a shy person, you feel timid or nervous when you are with other people. So somebody who is introverted does not necessarily have to be shy. They just enjoy spending time with their inner thoughts and ideas. Okay, thanks for that elaboration. Calvin, did you have something to say? Yeah, so I was reading about extroversion and introversion. And I realized a really important distinction that I didn't know before. Many people assume like extroversion, people are outgoing, which is true. And introversion is someone who loves keeping to themselves and many other like, you know, things that they do, things like, you know, with themselves. But then I realized that the difference as Michelle says is introverts get energy from within rather than drawing energy from other people. And I think that's a key distinction from shyness because shyness is just feeling uncomfortable in social situations. Introverts, some of them do feel really, I think shyness can be seen as, can be seen as a sign of introvertedness, but not necessarily the same thing. But doesn't mean all introverts are shy. Okay, and those two are different from social anxiety. And um, if I remember what Michelle said correctly, 
um, social anxiety actually disrupts, um, you know, daily function and daily interaction. So we can safely say that if someone has extreme shyness that really um, disrupts their daily functioning and interaction with other people, then they are showing sense of um, social anxiety. Um, so Anne, what are the symptoms of social anxiety? Can you share with us? Hey, Rukaya, I'd like to add something on the, the three terms, the shyness, social anxiety, and introversion. Yeah, that would um, be great. Um, in When you're talking about social anxiety, you're talking about the fear of being around people, right? It's just an anxiety that just sparks up all of a sudden. When uh, shyness on, on the other side is just the just an awkwardness that uh, precedes small talks and it actually wears off after you start knowing the other person or the place that you're in you get a little bit comfortable and now you're able to interact with people and uh, the place that you're in right but uh, also with introversion it's just uh, it's a preference somebody wants to be alone so that they can be able to um, boost their energy. That's their, their way of boosting up their energy. So I think, uh, but uh, when you read about shyness and social anxiety, shyness, um, if it's not well um, taken care of, it can lead to social anxiety. So the two are just a very, like, very bit close to each other, but they're very different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you for that elaboration. And um, like I said, um, like which you've emphasized, shyness is, it can be a precedence to social anxiety. It doesn't always lead to social anxiety, but it can when it's not well-treated. And thank you for using that term, when it's not well-treated or probably when it's not like is identified and, you know, worked on. Um, yeah, but do you want to also share on the other symptoms of um, social anxiety? Mm, yeah, I do. Um, another symptom of social anxiety is um, worrying about embarrassing or humiliating yourself. You know, it's uh, when you're here with your friends and um, for for the for other people, it's it's a uh, an embarrassing moment may not cause worry to you. It actually may spark a little bit of um, laughter and closeness with your friends, etc. Right, but uh, with people suffering from social anxiety, the the thought of embarrassing themselves and um, humiliating themselves it causes them to worry so much, and it makes them more anxious of um, being around people. Yeah. Wait, so are you saying that these people do not always, do not necessarily have to experience these embarrassing moments? They just like create the scenarios in their mind and yes. live off of the possibilities. Yes, they, it's just a fear. They're fearing that they, the moment they start interacting with the next person, they might uh, embarrass themselves or humiliate themselves. It's just a fear. That, uh, that actually leads to the physical manifestation of it. Because uh, if you look at a situation where I'm thinking that I might embarrass myself talking here, then I'll keep thinking about it and it will somehow slip out of my tongue and it will actually happen. And so the fear actually comes into manifestation and it makes them more fearful of such situations. 
Yeah, thank you. We'll come back to the uh, manifestation. And I'm very happy that you mentioned there are physical manifestations, which tells me that there are also emotional manifestations. And the first one is fear. Um, so can now we, we... Can I yeah, sure. have a correction or maybe question? I would love any of you to weigh in. So I have, let's say, confusion with what Anne is talking about. Um, she's talking about this idea of people fearing being judged or being scrutinized. And I think that is social phobia, which is, you know, something inside social anxiety. I feel like if we go down that line, we might end up narrowing, you know, our definition of social anxiety because the definition itself is just extreme fear in social settings, which can manifest in many ways, including social phobia itself. But then social phobia in itself is just that fear of being judged and scrutinized by other people in social settings, thus if you know we constrain ourselves to that small pocket, then we'll just go down that line and not even deal with other manifestations of social anxiety. Yeah, I, I think, okay, so what Calvin raises is a very important question. And I think, again, this is where I would prefer to leave it to the mental health act experts because it's now like, because some people say like social anxiety disorder itself is also known as social phobia. And then that would be like, okay, what does the diagnostic statistic, uh, statistical manual for mental health say on this? And I think um, we have to talk about the nuances around this and also just other emotional and behavioral symptoms of social anxiety disorder. You know, it could be, um, it's just not only like fear of situations in way which you may be judged negatively, but it's also, you know, intense fear of interacting or talking to strangers. I think we've seen people who are very comfortable walking up to strangers and going like, hi, hello, how are you? And, you know, they have this whole conversation and you're like, wow, okay, I don't know how you did that. And for someone with social anxiety, you may be like, okay, I really want to interact with a stranger. And maybe the strangers they share classes, maybe they are um, have a project with a stranger, but for someone else, this just comes in so naturally. Um, there's also like avoidance of situations where you might be the center of attention because of the fact that you have avoid or like you have you're very anxious in social situations you don't want to be the center of attention if it's your birthday then you might feel very uncomfortable and this is a hypothetical situation whereby you know you're the center of attention your birthday you tend to be the center of attention so um again there's so many nuances around it yeah um thank you for mentioning that and also saying that of course there are nuances and you know we are not mental health experts so we won't go into like the book definition and the you know more academic path of you know distinguishing between the two but I think it's important like Kelvin um, mentioned it's important to acknowledge that the nuances exist and we are not here to um, just narrow one person's experience or just like fixate on one aspect or manifestation of the um, of the disorder and the experience and ignore the other manifestations. Of course, we, we know that there are other manifestations of it and we do acknowledge that as, um, as a panel of hosts who are discussing social anxiety. Um, yeah, so Michelle, you mentioned something about um, you. It was something you took off from and you mentioned that it's not only the fear of um, experiencing negative um, social interactions, but it can also be a fear of 
having positive interaction. You didn't use the word positive, but I, I just suspected that you may you meant to say positive. Is that true or were you referring to something else? Um, I think to an extent it is true because you again are avoiding social settings because e.g. if you are in a class that maybe has 20 people, you may be scared to ask a question because you have this fear whereby you may be judged, you may be uh, criticized, you may see, you know, you, you, you're constantly thinking about the flaws that you may have. So because of this, it may deny you the opportunity to, do have, to have positive experiences and it's something that we must acknowledge. Okay, thank you. Um, so now let's talk about the physical manifestations. Um, and you already mentioned that it can lead to like awkwardness and shyness, which is one of the physical manifestations. Um, what other physical manifestations are there? Um, I would like to just state them or somehow explain them. There you have blushing and um, sometimes fast heartbeat because of um, the fear. The fear um, makes your heartbeat um, increase. You also have um, trembling and um, a lot of sweating also. Yeah, those are some of the symptoms I have. Okay. Um, so when you say sweating, what did you say? Could I chip in? Yeah. Um, okay, so sweating, for example, I think I'm just going to pick up from there. Um, I think for some people, it even happens naturally, even if they don't have social anxiety disorder, they may uh, be sweating excessively before a performance or something of the sort. Um, there's, you know, trembling, there's upset stomach or nausea, like you feel like your stomach is literally on fire. There's like people who feel this way when they're about to have social interactions. There's much muscle tension where your muscles feel very, very tense. And that's because they've probably been contracting and relaxing for you know, a very prolonged period of time. As you think about this interactions and as you think about what um, the outcome may be, because the issue is that when you have social anxiety disorder, there's always the outcome of social interactions. Like, will I be judged negatively? Will people see my flaws? Um, yeah, question. Yeah, thank you for, for highlighting that. Calvin, do you have any other ones you would want to add? No, maybe I, I will just add the caveat that we do have you know, different you know, physical symptoms, as I said, nausea, blushing. Although blushing to me is really weird that it's there. You know, it makes sense. Yes, I'm not the expert. So I'm just going off medical channels, uh, trembling and sweating. And these physical symptoms can also be accompanied by psychological symptoms, as we talked about avoidance. Um, one other thing that I noted going through was people needing alcohol to face social situations um, with the Kenyan culture of drinking. I'm just wondering whether we need to get more psychiatrists to try and diagnose people because, like, you know, alcohol is almost every in every other. Thing. you know people say maybe I just need a shot to get through this um, that can be one other thing and all these physiological and psychological symptoms manifest differently in different people you might get some of those you might not get some of those and it's important to note that they they have to be showing up in social situations for them to be considered signs of social anxiety so if you're getting this in situations where they're not really social I would say maybe it's something else or what do you guys think um, you mentioning alcohol is a very big um, 
big thing and I'm sure King and Zone forgive you for, <laughs> for saying that because <laughs> yeah. um yeah I agree that social anxiety exists but some people just want to have fun so I was just you know promoting product maybe we were paid to sponsor us <laughs> but then we didn't even mention the brand so we're not taking yeah. any business to promote business I think maybe that's I'm a whole talking about my local Changa dealer here anyone wants their number probably no um but I think that's also I think the question that Rukai has posed whereby is this only applicable to social anxiety disorder and all of that boils down to the fact that there are different types of anxiety disorders it's not only social anxiety disorder so sometimes you know someone says hey i have an anxiety disorder and that in itself is just not enough because it's not enough in the sense of it could be social anxiety disorder it could be obsessive compulsive disorder which is actually grouped as an anxiety disorder it could be post-traumatic stress disorder it could be um, generalized anxiety disorder and it could be panic disorder so if somebody for example just tends to feel um, dread and and they have muscle tension and they also have some of the symptoms of you know social anxiety disorder and it may not just present itself in social situations we would definitely not be in the position to diagnose somebody and be like this is what it is and that's why you need your professionals that's why you need to go to a psychiatrist and get evaluated because they have a more in-depth history or more time to get an in-depth history onto like when you may experience the symptoms as this when is very critical um also in the sense of coping mechanisms i think it's, it's, it's a very broad topic when you talk about alcohol and i think it, it prompts the discussion of you know addiction and and uh substance abuse which is something that Whatever you need to talk about as Kenyans, because you know, we see the drinking culture in Kenya is quite big, and it's like, are we borderline alcoholics or is this normal? Like, is this social drinking? You know, um, I, I may have touched <laughs> a sensitive spot for a lot of Kenyans, but you know, it's a, it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. As yeah, Kenyans, um... I'm not happy with you branding us as alcoholics. We have <laughs> much, much less than just alcohol. I am Kenyan myself. Happy. I literally travel under a, tra- a, ke- a Kenyan passport. Calvin, you need to explain to the audience what Changa is. I have never had Changa in my life. I do not know what that is. <laughs> I was supposed to say that. Michelle told me before the recording, say Changa. Like, I don't know what that is. Maybe Michelle can tell us. Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. So... I think <laughs> Chaga is a type of drink or it's a traditional home-brewed spirit that is popular in Kenya. It's made by fermentation and distillation from grains like millet. The issue with Changa is the alcohol content. I don't, I think it's over, I don't know, 50% alcohol in it. And I, the, the, the people who died to drinking too much Changa at once. So, yeah. Tell me you're Kenyan without telling me you're Kenyan. Exactly. <laughs> um, I want us to talk about how um, in social gatherings and in social interactions, we can identify people with social anxiety and support them without them telling us or without, you know, probing them and putting them in situations where they don't want to be, you know, vulnerable or open about their um, emotions and their experiences. But before we do that, um how how can one you know identify that they have social anxiety michelle you mentioned um you know going to psychiatrists and getting diagnosed i think personally that that is like you know 
at the top of the list, but we, you know, we don't live in a perfect world and accessibility to mental health professionals and mental health experts is not, um, you know, uniformly distributed. So there is, you know, the disparity about that. And so for people who do not have access to, uh, you know, the resources and facilities to get accurate diagnosis, what are some things that can, you know, show them, tell them, aside the symptoms, of course, that we've discussed, that they have social anxiety. And you also mentioned coping mechanisms that I also want us to go into after this. Um, and once they identify that within themselves, how can they, you know, seek the support? How can they, you know, you know, just find ways of coping and functioning normally? Can I... So looking at the dcm5 dsm5 oh my god the kiss in me um the dsm5 criteria so when you're looking at social anxiety there's certain things that people trying to get a diagnosis will look for so like persistence and intense fear about specific social situations because you believe you'll be judged negatively embarrassed or humiliated uh which is can be you know understood as social phobia, depending on how you see it, avoidance of anxiety-producing social situations, excessive anxiety that's out of proportion, um, then there's distress that interferes with your daily living, um, when you have fear, anxiety that is not explained by any other medical condition, any medication, or any substance abuse. These are some of the criteria that diagnosticians, mostly psychiatrists, or other mental health experts would use one thing I would say is just looking at like some of the things that these people will try and diagnose because most of, so things like social anxiety is not like malaria where they draw your blood and look in a lab. They, they mostly depend on self-reporting. Um, so they will ask you questions, make you feel questionnaires. And I think one important thing is journaling. You have to journal a lot so that you can be able to easily recall these situations whenever you go into a psychiatrist's office and they're trying to ask you questions so that they can, they can get a better picture so that they don't diagnose you with social anxiety when you don't have it because maybe you over-exaggerated some of the symptoms because you read online and you know the symptoms and then you're just going to, you know, trying to confirm it, so confirmation bias. Or maybe you forget some of these things which might be important. They don't get all the markers and they say you don't have social anxiety and you're not treated for it. So try a lot to journal and if you do feel like maybe you're you know, experiencing some, if not all of these symptoms that we talk about, they can be physiological or psychological, try and reach out to a mental health expert. I think you cannot really tell if someone, you know, as a lay person, if someone has social anxiety or it's just shyness, because it can also be to different extremes. I think what Calvin has said is very important um, because one, as a layman, you literally cannot, you know, look at somebody who has stayed with them and then try to psychoanalyze them and be like, mm, that looks like social anxiety. It's not possible. And don't, I don't even think it's ethical to be psychoanalyzing people, even if they're your friends and you're like, mm, I think you have social anxiety disorder. I feel like it would be like a huge invasion of privacy, but that's a whole other discussion. I also think it's very important for one to, you know, take this, sorry, to take the steps to figure out if their symptoms are a result of normal shyness or if it could be something more right so i think it's being able to draw that distinction of 
am I am I shy or do I have social anxiety? You know, because you can overcome shyness, right? But I think with social anxiety, you need proper coping mechanisms to be able to overcome the symptoms and the physical and social sociological and um, psychological manifestations of it. So I think it's being able to distinguish the two. And I think also, um, one, you will see people with anxiety, especially social anxiety disorder, it does disrupt their daily life in the sense of, you know, it's affecting them like going to work, starting conversations, dating, eating, you know, in front of others, returning items to us. So like, I don't think you, I don't know if you guys have ever had like those friends who are very scared to retire items or be like, hey, you got my order wrong, something along the lines. And it makes this daily living for them very hard. So it's being able to be like, okay, is this because of shyness or is it because I have, I could possibly have a social anxiety disorder? I'm, I don't know how I feel about um, self-diagnosis. I don't think it's the best way, but I do understand there's also an issue around resources and being able to get a proper diagnosis. So, uh, I, I, at the end of the day, when it comes to social anxiety, and if you notice somebody is struggling in terms of um, feeling comfortable to express themselves and to and to just talk to people, I think it's up to you to ensure that they feel safe in such an environment and ensure that they wouldn't um, be mocked or anything of the sort. For example, in a classroom, right? If you know you know a friend who's shy, you you can't label, I, you should not be labeling them and saying they have social anxiety and you know they're shy and they're scared to ask questions or things of the sort. I think you should ensure that that space in itself is non-judgmental in the sense of, you know, teachers also just saying there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I think this in itself has always encouraged more people to ask questions in class. Yeah. Another thing Thank about self, sorry. Another thing about self-diagnosis is people often can be wrong because they're not experts. But then I don't know if I'm just imagining this, but I feel like many people would want to, you know, <clears throat> sorry, diagnose themselves with social anxiety so such that they can use it as, I don't want to say an excuse per se, but like it's a way to just justify some of the things that they feel rather than actually trying to find out what it is. They're like, maybe I just don't want to know what's going on. I'll just say I have social anxiety unless I'm imagining. I feel like this is something that, does go on because a lot of people you would meet and they would tell I have social anxiety but I've never really been diagnosed officially by a mental health expert. Yeah I'm really glad that you mentioned that because um, the label that comes with you know being professionally diagnosed I think it makes the experience different from you know just um, self-diagnosing yourself um, because once you are professionally diagnosed in my opinion you strictly adhere to that label and it makes it even more difficult to you know push yourself out of that label because it can get comfortable and you're always seeking that comfort but um yeah thank you for mentioning that Anne um do you have anything to add on to those no I don't think I have any but I'll just say that um the point that Calvin gave on keeping a journal as uh I'd like to recommend that it uh, kindly try doing it. It helps you um, put your thoughts, put all the thoughts that are in your head in a book and be able to express yourself. Um, even if you're not expressing yourself to someone else, you're doing it, uh, you're, you're doing it, uh, you're, you're in 
in Kenya we call it unajita mkutano. You call yourself into just a, a minor meeting with yourself and it does help. It does help. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. You know, sorry. sorry. Um, I think it's important every time. Like it's, it's an important you have a meeting with yourself. And I think journaling in itself is a beautiful way to call to have a meeting with yourself. It's a chance for you to uh, have your thoughts somewhere, understand your thoughts, understand your emotions, understand everything that is going on in your life and express it too. So this is not only for people with social anxiety disorder, but this is also for people without any mental illness. It's good to journal. It is a very difficult habit to do, like, you know, making it a habit, being intentional about it. Like, yes, I'm going to journal every day. Because I remember this idea, like, this is going to be me every day. I'm going to have a journal prompt. But the people who, um, for example, have used their notes up on their phone to just journal, they like, feel something, you know, type it out, boom, done. So... Yeah, you don't have to have a notebook well, at all. Hmm. While we are on the topic of journaling, I would like to recommend that you don't always have to write. Um, that is also very important. Journaling, you can, if you are more comfortable recording yourself talking about your emotions or talking about a prompt, you can do that as well. If you are, um, whether it's through audio or video or through graphics. Um, Because I think that when we talk about writing, the idea of writing alone can freak people out and prevent them from journaling. So as we we mentioned journaling, please take into consideration, um, and I'm referring to the audience, of course, please um, take into consideration your level of comfortability and what would, you know, help you stay consistent in a more sustainable way for you. And you can always have a mix up of all the different formats that you can journal in. Calvin, what did you have to say? Sorry, I was saying I do sell notebooks. That was why I mentioned journals. If anyone wants to buy one, please um, let me know. Also, I would rather write until my hand falls off than listen to my own voice. I only do so when I'm supposed to. I don't know if I'm the only one. It's like, um, I also really find it hard to look at myself in the mirror. Maybe, I don't know why. Um, maybe I'm just guessing. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I just do not. No, you're not. I just, I don't know why. Yeah, you're not alone. Um, talking about that, who, who here has listened to our first podcast? I was there and I had to to, to listen to the recording and cut it. I think we all have a thing as human beings whereby we don't like our voices when it's recorded. It's very weird. It's like, ugh. Yeah, right. Um, Anyway, so before we end this, this has been a very productive conversation. And I just realized that we've been talking about social gatherings social gatherings but we really haven't defined what a social gathering is and what kind of social gatherings um, um, social anxiety can manifest in um, we have tied on different ones um, subconsciously such as um, parties such as you know meeting someone for the first time um, but are there other things is there a number to the social gathering is there a context um, I would love if we can add a context to the social gathering just so we can you know paint the picture clearly for our audience i would say it's more than one like if you're just more than you something as simple as asking a question to a stranger on the street can be seen as a social gathering in this context one thing 
so for example, in my case, um, when I go to a restaurant, I would rather eat the wrong order than call the waiter and be like, hey, I think you got the wrong order for me. I would just take it and, you know, go on with it. So I no think way. Yeah, I would. No. I, I usually, no, I think it's less of me fearing that it's more of me feeling bad that I have to send them back and all that. I, I get that feeling, but I also don't like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm also a very picky eater. So it's just like, one thing also Rukaya, it doesn't have to be physical like something of a zoom meeting or a phone call as long as it's more than one and interacting mm-hmm. with another being i don't know if google assistant counts or siri but yeah um this is a very it's a very profound question what do you guys think does Siri and Google Assistant count as interactions that can trigger social anxiety? You. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of <laughs> it's silly. I don't know if I heard it like it counts. I'm like, is it is it is it a person in the first place? That's the first question. Yeah. <laughs> is it a person? Yeah, I don't know. So it's a very nuanced discussion. I don't think yeah. I'm going to have it because I'm not like a tech geek and be like, no, this is the thing about Siri. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Plus, I don't think Siri is in a position to judge you. It's, it's your phone, literally. It's yours. Go ask, go ask Siri what is zero divided by zero. <laughs> and then... Okay, actually, the no, let's play. Okay, Siri, what is zero divided by zero? Okay, actually, just give me a minute. Let me do she that. So that I what Siri... Hey Siri, what is what is zero divided? Hey Siri, what is zero divided by zero? Okay, it I didn't speak back to me, but it told me intermediate. Wait, what? In determinate, sorry. It was still time. The normal series told you. Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. Yeah. And, and Imagine how, no, let me read the whole thing. This is not the whole thing. One second. Yeah, while well, Coven is doing zero, that. Divided by zero. It's even to speak back to me. Oh, well. Didn't tell me anything. Quite rude. Okay, here we go. Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies and you're sad that you have no friends. <laughs> that is a very interesting answer. Wait, what? Siri. <laughs> Siri told you that. That's me. You need to update your Siri because mine was like very kind about it. Anyway, moving on from Siri. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, so um, Michelle, I like that you asked if it's even a question to, you know, ask. But from what we've already talked about social social anxiety, I think that is definitely is a question to ask because the social anxiety, um, it's manifests differently for different people. And for some people, it's not about whom they are going to interact with. It's about the kind of response they are going to 
um, receive and anxiety is like generally the fear of the unknown, right? So we don't know what answer Siri might give us. We don't know what answer um, Google Assistant might give us if we ask a question. So the fear of that answer alone can trigger social anxiety in my perspective. Um, but like you said, this is a question that more um, experts in the field can answer. But again, um, I think it's it just worth some discussion. Okay, let's go ahead. Um, so what are the causes of um, social anxiety aside, you know, the fear of, you know, of social interactions? What exactly can make someone have social anxiety? I think when it comes to causes of mental illnesses, it's a complex interaction of biological and environmental factors. You have to look at... Um, when it comes to the environment, for example, right? Some people may develop like significant anxiety after an unpleasant or embarrassing social situation. Imagine you're like, I don't know, four or five years old, you're reciting a poem and then everybody's laughing at you after the poem because I don't know, they found it silly. And I don't think you should be laughing at a five-year-old or anyone on stage really. Um, so after such a situation, I don't think you would ever positively associate speaking on stage um, and you probably just develop a phobia for that, right? And then something like inherited traits or just genetics in general, it, it's anxiety disorders tend to run in the family. So it isn't like exactly clearly, it's not exactly clear how, how much of you know, an anxiety disorder may be due to genetics and how much is due to learned behavior when it comes to social anxiety and um, brain structure. I am not the one best suited to explain this, but it does say, specifically on Mayo Clinic, that a structure in the brain called the amigo, amigo, ah, amygdala. Yes, amygdala. <laughs> <laughs> amygdala may play a so role. Can, you, can you say it again, Puli, please? I just... <laughs> amygdala. Sorry, I could <laughs> not hear you, sorry. Okay. A brain, structure in the brain, this is according to Mayo Clinic. Amygdala may play a role in controlling the fear response. People who have an overactive amygdala may have a heightened fear response, causing increased anxiety in social situations. That's according to Mayo Clinic. Hey, Rukaya. Do you remember our favorite nature versus nature thing? It comes in again. I do remember. <laughs> yes. So, so Michelle has mentioned some of it, but I can just go through it. I think experiences do build you know, build up to social, like build up to social anxiety, things like bullying, family conflict, sexual and emotional abuse contribute to that. Also, Michelle mentioned the idea of it running in families. And I think from the Healthline website, I read that there's like researchers are conflicted as to whether actually genetics does have a factor to play. But one thing that has been you know, floated is that children do, do learn some of the behaviors that parents with anxiety disorder have, and they tend to grow up with um, those behaviors. So that comes into the nature part, as Michelle did mention, an overactive amygdala and also like serotonin imbalance. Um, so hormones, brain structure can also contribute. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, like you mentioned, nature versus nurture is um, been coming up and I'm very sure in the future is going to keep coming up. Um, I hope that we get to a point where we stop saying nature versus nature and adopt nature via nurture because, um, yeah, we've had past discussions about that and we 
somewhat agree that it's nature via nurture. But Anne, do you have anything to say about that as well? Uh, yes, I do. Um, when you're talking about the environment in which um, the person is in, um, especially for kids, kids uh, are able to, you know, the way kids grow, the way we grow, we are learning from what our parents do, right? The positive and also the negative. So the moment a kid can see um, from time to time that the parent is anxious about something or is unable to control um, or, or the way they face their fears, the kid is also able to, um, the, ki the kid is also able to learn from it and they are able to grow into it and uh, social anxiety becomes a part of them. They are unable to deal with it because uh, the parents also have been unable to deal with it. So it's important for parents when they are raising kids, be able to know how to um, control some of the emotions or the way they, um, they deal with some of these emotions because kids are learning. They're not just kids, uh, they will forget. No, kids actually um, record it and they, they learn, they do learn. And uh, yeah, parents should be careful. And um, another thing is that uh, kids can show um, signs of um, social anxiety where we have um, uh, some kids are unable to interact with, their, with uh, adults or peers. And some of the signs are crying, a lot of crying, a lot of uh, having temper tantrums, clinging to their parents and uh, or refusing to even speak in social interactions. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. And um, just want to add that as parents, these are very important things we need to be noticing um, among the children and not only as parents, but also as, you know, siblings, friends, cousins, people that have children around us and friends around us. I didn't know us. you're a parent. Now you know. know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you know. Well, I am not a parent, but I have I have parenting skills. Parent. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so um these are really important. We need to be very observant of the kind of you know traits our children are showing and manifesting. And you know, we need to be as supportive as we can also while seeking treatment when it gets um distress distressing and disruptive. Um, talking about seeking treatments, what are some of the treatments of social anxiety? We already talk about, talked about the coping me mechanisms, but um, we can all agree that coping mechanisms, like just like the name suggests, is just for coping with the, um, with the disorder, coping with the experience. But how can we successfully, you know, have someone get rid of social anxiety? I think the first one that everyone goes to when it comes to treatment options of, of social anxiety in any mental illness, for example, is just psychotherapy in itself. Um, and this, of course, has to come after, you know, you've been diagnosed or something along the lines. Um, but yeah, there could be in psychotherapy, you could be exposed to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is um, the most the most effective type of psychotherapy for anxiety. And it can be equally effective when conducted individually or in groups. So sometimes one is an exposure-based CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're gradually working up to face the situations you fear the most. So, you know, you're, you're gradually building that 
I guess the con- I, I don't like calling it the confidence, but just the ab- the ability. Yes, the ability to um to do the things that she fears the most. It could be speaking in front of people. It could be um not feeling like you're being judged every time you talk, or not feeling like people are criticizing your flaws. Another type is sometimes is that people would get um medication for social anxiety disorder so you know with medication there um there are side effects and all of that and the common type for social anxiety disorder would be selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors ssris um this is the first type of drugs tried for persistent symptoms of social anxiety so yeah those are some of the treatment options yeah thank you um just to repeat what michelle just said cbt cognitive behavioral therapy for those that do not know is just a form of therapy that helps you think more about your emotions and thoughts especially and how they affect your behavior um calvin and Anne, um what do you have for us in terms of treatment options for social anxiety well for us who know little about psychotherapy and medis- <coughs> medications Uh, we will learn about that in the Mayo Clinic website. Thank you for the cheat code it has given us. Um, Another thing is lifestyle changes. I think this will hurt a lot of Kenyans like Michelle. Avoiding alcohol is something that can help. Uh, Don't ruin my name on a public platform. Don't is a lie. (laughs) Is a lie. I am... You're also ruining my name by questioning my integrity but it's okay. So the normal things of eating a well-balanced diet, limiting caffeine, you know, physical exercise. Another thing is just practicing in small steps. Uh, Michelle talked about exposure-based cognitive-based therapy, which is basically like trying to expose yourself to the situations that you fear can actually help. And yes, Kenyans, we have to reduce our alcohol intake. It's not good for us. Calvin should be taken to the Kenyan National Television to broadcast this news. And let's see people's reactions. I think alcohol intake is not just a problem in Kenya. It definitely is a problem worldwide currently. <laughs> so, um, but um, I think Michelle and Calvin have dealt with the CBT and or, yeah, with the CBT very well so I don't need to add anything else but it's important for me to say that um, it's uh, it's important for people with a social anxiety disorder to to think about going to therapy it should be um, and when they do go to therapy kindly be consistent and uh, try to to go to therapy as much as possible don't uh, stop midway uh, try pushing yourself to go to therapy and it will pay off one time, yeah. Thank you all for those um, wonderful suggestions and this brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, This is the FML podcast. We talked about social anxiety, um, what social anxiety is, some signs and symptoms of social anxiety and how it manifests. 
both psychologically and physically. Um, we also talked about um, some coping mechanisms for social anxiety, such as journaling. We also talked about some treatment options um, for social anxiety. We hope you enjoyed um, the podcast and um, see you next time when we talk about generalized anxiety disorder. And um, yeah, bye.